Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 30th of January, and this is Govindraj Athiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day. India's stock market surprised back on a blazing 1240 point start to the week. India could see 7% growth says a government economic review. Reliance Industries stock hits a near 3.5 year high on oil margin increases what lies ahead. China's Evergrande goes into liquidation is that the beginning or end of the problem? And finally expectations on indirect tax from the interim budget later this week. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. The markets on fire on the first day of the week. There was some trepidation going into trade yesterday given the fall in the previous week and two holidays at the start and the end of the week interspersed with various kinds of global developments all of which I mean the anxiety was flung out of the window as the stock market shot up during the day in the best session in two months. The heroes of the day were Reliance Industries and ONGC among other stocks both in energy and thanks to energy benefiting from a jump in crude prices. Reliance alone represented about 37% of the rise in the Nifty 50 according to a computation by Mint. Banking stocks rebounded as well and shot up as the markets appear to have partly forgiven them their recent weak net interest margin sins or at least some of it. Notably banks like HDFC Bank whose stock price has been thrashed soundly and resoundly in recent weeks the bsc sensex ended at about 1241 points while the nifty 50 closed at 385 points up at 21738 the government says the economy may grow 7% among other slightly longer term news the government of india has released a report saying the economy may see another year of 7% real growth that's fiscal 25 or 2425 now if that were to pan out india could aim to be a 7 trillion dollar economy in the next 6 to 7 years the finance ministry said in its report indian economy a review prepared by the chief economic advisor the indian economic review as of january 2024 is not the government's annual economic survey which usually is presented at this time or ahead of the union budget which will now of course happen after the elections as it always does Current expectations and estimates are that the year at present will also close around 7% thanks to strong domestic demand namely private consumption and investment. The report that's the review says the priority areas for future reforms include skilling, learning outcomes, health, energy security, a reduction in compliance burden for small and medium enterprises and gender balancing in the labor force. Like the economic survey, most of these if not all of these issues are critical and important when one hopes that they will find reflection in the final budget if not the interim one energy stocks jump on rising crude prices now back to the stock markets and our energy segment supported by india energy week reliance industries jumped 7% the highest in more than 3 and a half years or since september 2020 the jump seemed to be driven by a likely increase in margins in oil products thanks to the disruptions caused by the ongoing red sea crisis reliance could also benefit from higher refining margins and profits in the region as it exports a bulk of its production there is also some attribution to some gains on the entertainment side of reliance's business thanks to lower cost of potential acquisition of disney's india unit but that does not seem to be a consensus opinion 
Reliance, of course, runs a vast entertainment business too. Russian oil supplies to India are largely unaffected by the Houthi attacks on cargo vessels in the Red Sea because the Houthi rebels in Yemen, who are firing missiles at passing ships, recognize Russia's proximity to Iran, who in turn is its sponsor. So India benefits and so does Reliance. Who said geopolitics was simple? Refinery margins for producing gas oil over Dubai crude in Asia have risen to about $25.50 a barrel from $20 a barrel a month ago, according to third-party data compiled by Bloomberg. Now, this rally has pushed up Reliance's valuations to 24 times one-year forward earnings. ONGC, or Oil and Natural Gas Commission, also benefited, and the company's stock rallied almost 8%. So, the spurt in both Reliance and ONGC helped the entire energy stock universe hit a record high, or at least most of them a record high. Government-owned oil refining and marketing company Bharat Petroleum reported a 73% rise in quarterly profit on Monday, also helped by strong refining and marketing margins. The company's average gross refining margin was about $13 a barrel in the December quarter, above estimates of about $10 a barrel, according to research house Prabhudas Liladhar, who also said that PPCL had a marketing margin of about 3 rupees 50 paise per litre. In general, crude oil prices have eased by almost one-fourth from their high in the December 2022 quarter. Elsewhere in the Middle East, oil retreated despite more tensions, including an attack that killed US troops in Jordan and has put pressure on President Joe Biden to retaliate. Brent crude, however, fell back to $83 after hitting two-month highs a little earlier. Bloomberg quoted the White House saying Iranian-backed militants killed three soldiers and wounded others in a drone assault. However, Tehran, that's Iran, sought to distance itself from the attack. Now, you have to remember that the Middle East accounts for about a third of the world's crude output, but that output in itself has not been and is not likely to be affected at this point, And that in turn explains the relatively steady prices. It also helps that non Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries or non-OPEC countries are threatening to hike supply even as the OPEC countries like Saudi Arabia want to curtail it in order to keep prices either stable or high. Bloomberg said that refined product prices went up too, which obviously connects back to what we spoke about in the context of Reliance Industries and ONGC stock prices. Diesel futures in London apparently gained more than 5% at one point. This was the energy segment supported by India Energy Week. For more details, log on to www.indiaenergyweek.com. Consumer product and finance company results are steady. With the Reserve Bank tightening lending norms for banks and non-bank finance companies, particularly those active in small loans, results of many institutions who fit in this bucket are being watched quite closely. Bajaj Finance reported a smaller-than-expected 22% rise in third-quarter profits on Monday as it set aside more money for bad loans. The company's consolidated profit after tax rose to about 3,600 crores in the three months to December 31st, which was below analyst average estimate, according to Reuters. Consolidated numbers for Bajaj Finance include its subsidiaries Bajaj Housing Finance and Bajaj Financial Securities. Another area to watch closely is, of course, consumer products, or what I mean is that we are watching closely. Remember, we did point out that companies like Hindustan Unilever have showed very little growth. It was the same story roughly for ITC, whose total revenue from operations fell marginally on a year-to-year basis at about 17,000 crores. Standalone net profit was up 13% at about 5,500 crores. 
The results, however, beat street estimates, according to Reuters. The cigarettes to hotel conglomerate also announced an interim dividend of about six rupees twenty-five paise per share for the year 23-24. India's gold imports rise sharply. India's gold imports increased 27% to about $36 billion during the April to December period, according to government data reported in Business Standard. Now, this is nine months. The imports stood at $28 billion for the same period a year ago. In December 2023, that's last month, imports of gold jumped by about 156% to about $3 billion, according to data released by the Commerce Ministry. A rise in imports of gold or anything for that matter, obviously affects the country's trade deficit. India is the world's second biggest gold consumer after China, and the increased imports usually are seen to be feeding demand from the jewellery industry. China's real estate giant Evergrande goes for liquidation. China's real estate giant Evergrande Group today received a liquidation order from a Hong Kong court. Evergrande had amassed more than $300 billion of liabilities during China's debt-fueled property boom. The builder was valued at just $275 million, million, I repeat, on Monday before trading in its shares was stopped, down more than 99% from its peak, according to Bloomberg. Now, news of a liquidation, in my understanding, is actually good news because it signifies an attempt to begin a closure process rather than drag the entire process further along, endangering more participants, particularly in the financial markets along the way, apart from potential real estate consumers. Evergrande's collapse is by far the largest in a crisis that has dragged down China's economic growth and led to a record spate of defaults by developers. However, and this is the important part, according to Bloomberg, the liquidation will also be a test case of the legal reach of Hong Kong courts in China, where more than 90% of Evergrande's assets are residing. Now, recent history does not offer any real clues as to how this could go or how successful it will be, more so given its size. Evergrande's CEO, Sean Siu, said in a statement that their company has made all efforts possible and is sorry about that winding up order. It will ensure home deliveries and steadily promote normal operation of the group and communicate with the appointed liquidator. The founder and chairman of Evergrande, Hui Kayan was also placed under police control in September on suspicion of committing crimes, which could apparently, or at least according to Bloomberg, complicate the proceedings. Evergrande was the country's largest builder by sales for a while in the last decade and first defaulted on a dollar bond in December 2021, which sent shockwaves around the market, not just in China, but around the world. So China's property market has continued to slump even after the country introduced a slew of measures to stop prices from falling. Indirect tax expectations from the interim budget. Back home, the interim budget is said to be presented on February 1st, Thursday. Being an interim budget, the headroom is limited, but that does not mean that there are no expectations. Yesterday, we spoke about potential direct tax proposals for both companies and individuals and what could or could not happen. Today, we will focus on indirect tax, which is mostly goods and services tax, linked, though not as much as we will find out shortly. The other area where there are expectations in general are to do with customs. Customs duty, as you know, is what you pay when you import things. I reached out to Prashant Agarwal, partner at tax and consulting firm PwC, and I began by asking him what were the areas one could and could not expect any announcements, and of course, what was the wish list? Interim budgets, they are not the final budget, so you should not expect too many 
big announcements, especially from an indirect tax standpoint. So what has happened over the years is that with GST's introduction as such, there are limited aspects which the budget by itself introduces from a GST standpoint. It's largely customs which is taken care of. Although some of the approved items by the GST council are taken up by the budget in terms of amendment in the law and government never is short on surprising the taxpayer as well as the tax consultant like us on those aspects as well. So having said that, I think one expects that some of the aspects on the customs may be taken care of. Also, you may get an idea around the GST corrections. What are their assessment in terms of the revenue that they may want to garner out of GST corrections? Those are things that one should watch out for as part of the interim bill. Right. So now within GST, what is possible and what is not at this point of time? Obviously, people are wanting exemptions and reductions and so on. Yeah, so I think matters of exemption reductions may not be entirely taken up by the budget. As I said, these are matters which are now discussed and decided in the GST Council. So my expectation on rate reduction or on rate rationalization in GST, one should have limited, let's say, expectations from the budget by itself. Whatever will happen will happen through council meeting and the budget will only either, you know, approve it if there is a need to do though. Or otherwise, we'll be silent on it because there is no need for change in law in many of these cases. And which leaves us with customs. Are we expecting anything specific? Sure. And even on GST, if I may just take the second part of it, one expects that some of the law changes may be looked at. So there was a big issue around the input service distributor and the law-related changes have been already approved by the GST council. One may expect those changes to be taken care of. Now, coming to customs, in customs, one expects that there are certain exemptions which are coming to their closure as a sunset clause is on 31st of March 2024. Given our push for manufacturing, especially in the EMS part of it, which is the electronic manufacturing services part of it, one expects that those exemptions, if they are getting closed by 31st of March 2024, they would get extended because the final budget will only happen after elections. So this particular period between that, once the exemption goes away, could have a significant impact on imports by some of the manufacturing sectors, including semiconductors and others. So there, one expects that those exemptions, the government would extend it so that there is no impact on the industry since the budget may not happen, the final budget may not happen in the interview. The other thing is there are certain law-related changes expected for schemes like Mover, which, is, which was brought in to really expand the manufacturing base in India per se through customs. So there again, one expects some of the announcements to be made. There is one which industry really wants, but let's see whether the government really hears, which is around the amnesty part of it. There are a lot of litigations which are on in customs. One expects a lot of cases which are ongoing or may happen because of audits. And there the industry has been of the view that they should be given an opportunity to basically clean up their books and have requested for amnesty for quite a few years now, at least two to three years. But unfortunately, one has not heard from the government on that positively. That could be one big area and that could really be a good positive move from a government standpoint in terms of collecting more money as well and also helping the industry to start it clean or from a clean side, from a custom standpoint. So those are things that one expects on the customer. You know, from a ease of doing business point of view, for example, overall tax collections have been good for the government. So is there anything to suggest that therefore, if the government is happy with the way things are going, if they are, we could see some easing somewhere else in a more macro way rather than very specific moves of the kind we've just discussed. Our expectations are muted on that. As far as the changes from an indirect tax scheme is concerned, 
what one expects is that perhaps with these collections being in place, could the government give indication of what kind of PLIs they may want to bring in, if at all, and extend some of the PLI schemes as well. Because as we've been hearing in last six months, 12 months, and of course earlier as well, is on the push on manufacturing. Some of the advantages of PLI are still to be taken up by the private sector. As you would know, we see the CAPEX cycle really improving on the private sector side now. And if that is happening, some of the PLI schemes which were announced earlier, the benefit of them will come in now. So one would want to see that some of the structural changes on PLI, let's say extending some of the existing PLI schemes further for the industry, including some other sectors as part of PLI, could be two agenda points from a broader macro standpoint. As we are moving to an era where we want to push manufacturing quite a bit, making India a global manufacturing. In a sense, you're saying that if there's any kind of larger directional change or push, it will be keeping the whole manufacturing space in focus. Absolutely, absolutely. And the other area could be SEZ law, wherein there was Daesh which had to come in, but it hasn't seen a day of light. There are a lot of discussions around whether it will ever happen or would the changes come in the SEZ law itself. That could be another very big structural change for the industry. Because again, SEZ is as a policy meant to improve upon manufacturing and encourage manufacturing for exports. So there again, one would be eager to see if there is any direction provided by the government as part of it. Prashant, thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure. Thank you. That's it from me then. Have a great day ahead. That was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories, one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in. Do also track us on LinkedIn, where we usually post synopses or extracts of our top stories and interviews. We would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant, including, of course, India's vibrant manufacturing sector. So write to us at feedback at the core.in. And thank you once again for listening. <laughs>